This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. If you just start in growth, go and read a lot. There are literally all kinds of guides, all kinds of learning centers online. So for me, this would be one of the first things to do. It's like go and educate yourself by taking a lot of hours at the beginning and read, read all of these things. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I am very excited to be joined today by Dora Trostanetsky, who's the Director of Marketing at SoundCloud. Dora, you want to introduce yourself quickly? Hi, Esther. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. So hi, everyone. My name is Dora. I work at SoundCloud. Um, I'm part of the growth marketing team, um, and I'm taking care of uh, organic acquisition. That means ASO, SEO, uh, as well as retention and engagement up until recently. Um, yes, so I, I hope I have exciting and interesting things to share with you today. I, uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, so obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, SoundCloud specifically. Um, you know, when it comes to the growth metrics that you're looking at, what are some of the main KPIs that you focus on when you're looking at kind of success of, of organic growth, um, of any kind of growth? Yes. So there are quite a few of them, right? So we can talk about the very basic ones that... Um, you know, we can also call a little bit vanity metrics. So it, it shouldn't be the only metric that we're, you're looking at, but to get a, like a very holistic idea of um, if your business is growing and how you're doing, we're looking obviously at monthly monthly active users. Um, then we're looking also um, one level deeper into stickiness, like how many of our daily active users are coming back. Um, so what is like the Dow uh, and Mao ratio? Uh, this is also something we're looking at. And then, Obviously, for us, it's very important to understand user engagement. And in our case, this translates into listening time. And for those who are not familiar with SoundCloud, I think I didn't uh, introduce SoundCloud, but it is a music platform where uh, you can uh, find music to listen to or podcasts to listen to. Um, and you can also upload your own music or audio of any kind and then find an audience uh, on the platform. So. Obviously, listening time for us, it's extremely important. Um, this is, I think, the number one engagement metric that shows us that people have found value. So we would really want to increase um, the listening time that users are spending. Uh, so these are just a few of the KPIs. Obviously, we can, you know, we're looking at even deeper levels, but um, this is already a good start. Yeah, and, uh, you know, SoundCloud... Uh, if anybody hasn't heard of it, it's it's quite a quite a big name. So just to get an idea of scale, I mean, are we looking at in the hundreds of millions of downloads? How uh, generally, what kind of uh, audience size are we looking at? 
Yes, we're looking at millions of uh, downloads. This is correct. Um, uh, of course, I think without surprise, our biggest markets are US, UK, uh, then uh, you know Western Europe. Um, also, actually, uh, Egypt is a pretty big. Brazil, we have like a lot of uh, markets, and we're very happy that SoundCloud is like such an international uh, product. It's really uh, not like only focused on one specific market, but it, it it's internationally known. And um, up until today, we see actually a lot of organic uh, traffic coming in. Uh, even up until recently, we have uh, we haven't done any paid. Uh, we were actually um, really relying on organic. This was our um, source of traffic. Um, and then we just recently started experimenting with some with some paid channels um, because this field is is extremely competitive. Like you, you can think of so many other companies doing similar things. Um, I mean, content discovery uh, it's not limited to music apps anymore. Uh, we have like you know companies like TikTok. Um, of course, we have uh, companies like YouTube. They're they're around for a very long time now. Um, so it is a very very competitive field, um, and it was, it has been pretty amazing journey that we've we've managed to still grow only with organic traffic. It's it's insane actually to be able to grow for years without spending uh, you know a single unit UA dollar. I think is uh, is definitely rare. I think a lot of people listening are going to be very jealous of uh, of that fact. What do you think is you know kind of the overall reason that SoundCloud was able? to grow without needing to uh, to acquire traffic and acquire users? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Honestly, we're uh, always, try, always trying to pinpoint because there's so many offline factors, right? It's not only online, because online you can track and you can say, oh, we have like, you know, people sharing, uh, which, is, uh, which is true. People are sharing their content, uh, whatever, whether they upload it or they liked something, they found something, they, they're sharing with their friends. But I think, um, Definitely. Also, there are so many offline factors, right? Like word of mouth. People are talking about it. Your, our audience is very young, so you can imagine that people going to school or to university, uh, you're hanging out with your friends, you're finding a, a new artist, um, and then uh, you share it with your friends. And another pretty um, great thing about SoundCloud is that it really is the place where you find artists that just are just starting. You know, these bedroom artists that. Are um, just recorded their first tracks. They uh, they, they they haven't gained uh, popularity just yet. So um, people are going to SoundCloud to discover this completely new content and really find something new and unique um, before it really hits the charts, which happens several times. Um, but uh, I would say this is also one of the reasons why uh, we continue actually uh, growing organically. Like really this unique value proposition. Nah, amazing. Um, so, I mean, I guess, look, SoundCloud is is a very recognizable brand. I think most people have at least heard of SoundCloud, if not used it, or, or at least, you know, logged in once when somebody sent them a song link or something like that. Um, you came in needing to optimize a brand that is so recognized and kind of increase organic traffic is it even possible? How does that work? You know, how do you come in and tackle something that it feels like, all right, you've heard of SoundCloud, either you're using it or you're not, right? Yeah. Actually, um, um, also a very uh, good question. I, um, I I really like to share this story because myself, 
uh, I was extremely surprised. So when I started working at SoundCloud, um, when was it? I, I'm kidding, like last week, uh, last year, June, not last week, last year, June. Um, yeah, so this was the time when um, I, there was no ASO in place, right? There were some random keywords running in the background. Um, so there was nothing, nothing was optimized. So when I, uh, when I started, one of my first missions was to uh, go and optimize for the keywords. And specifically uh, on iOS, you know, we had this few not very relevant keywords uh, in the background. Uh, and we were already ranking super well for the majority of keywords. So you can imagine keywords like music, music app. Um, we were we were already there. We were already in the one of the first results and uh, we were having great brand traffic, pretty good keyword traffic. So my first thought was like, is this going to work at all? Like even if I optimize the keywords, we're already ranking so well, what, what will it bring? And I, of course I've done it anyway, because like, why not? You should see what happens. Um, but I didn't didn't have much faith in it. I thought it's not gonna really move the needle. Uh, and surprisingly, it did. And not with little, but with a lot. So uh, by optimizing the keywords, putting the ones that are, well, we, in our case, it's very lucky because we already rank for high volume keywords, um, which isn't the case obviously for, for a company that just starts uh, and wants to build their ASO. Um, but by including very relevant keyword into our keyword field, into our uh, title and subtitle on iOS, we have seen really, really good increase uh, in a semantic in semantic dictionary. So the, you know the more generic keywords um, that are not brand related, but also very surprisingly, um, we have seen a great increase in uh, traffic coming from similar brands. So. What happened is the following. The brand traffic did not change much. It was pretty stable because we were already obviously number one for keywords like SoundCloud or you know some kind of misspelling that people would do. But for the generic keywords and the, um, uh, the similar apps, we actually grew a lot. So we started being uh, ranked better for our competitors uh, and it's, it, it, it was all linked actually. Um, so I was very surprised to see this results. Um, so just, uh, I want to make sure I clarify the similar apps, you, you know, in Apple, those are when you're in somebody else's app store page, you, you know, you scroll down to the bottom, there's that area of apps you may also like, or kind of the, all right, you didn't want to download this one. What else do you have? So what you're saying is your keyword work enabled you to show up in more of those, uh, similar apps areas. So this and also when people type another brand keyword, so um, meaning like if they, they type a competitor's name, we'll be actually ranked better, uh, which wasn't always the case before. So this is what I mean also, I uh, but you're right, similar apps is actually what shows up when you scroll when you're on somebody's product page. But in that case, I also uh, include um, how are we ranking for our competitor keywords. Amazing. And this brought, it brought, I mean, I think sometimes you think about competitor keywords as, as you know, what, what chance do I have, right? If somebody already decided that they want to download YouTube and I'm kind of shoving something else in their face, it's a very hard um, sell to be able to put in, but you're saying you actually saw kind of really solid results from yes. being able to increase those rankings. Absolutely. We absolutely have seen results. And the uh, best part was when um, I was like a couple of months later, 
when I was doing one of the reports, the monthly reports, uh, we actually uh, hit number like the second position in the U.S. So number two, wow. we're number two in our category music with only organic traffic. It was like it was such a great moment, um, and we um, historically haven't had this position uh, before. And when you look at average per month, obviously, like if you look at dailies, uh, it probably happened here and there. But looking at that, we look at average uh, per month for our category ranking, and we were number two. For it, I think it was October last year when this happened, uh, and now we're kind of swinging between second and third position. Uh, but we should also say that our competitors have been very aggressive with uh, spend, with with paid acquisitions. So, as we all know on iOS, what matters most is the number of installs. So, whoever drives the most installs has a higher position. Um, nevertheless, swinging between second and third position is still very good. Uh, but reaching number two with only organic traffic was uh, was absolutely <laughs> great experience for sure. It's amazing. It's no, it is amazing. I mean, category rankings the kind of thing that you know once you finally secure your UA budget, that's when you can start to dream about reaching those top slots. It's it's just insane that you were able to do yeah. it organically. That's awesome. Um, you know, can you? I guess it would be great to understand a little bit more practically when it came to kind of those keyword optimizations. So you mentioned a lot of your traffic was coming from brand keywords. You were ranking highly. What kind of work does it take to, uh, you know, to optimize from that already high situation? What kind of, uh, you know, processes did you go through and uh, to mm -hmm. be able to make that improvement? Honestly, there is no much secret there. It's really a, literally a trial and error kind of thing. So um, I would say if you like test a new keyword and new keyword combination, um, and if you don't rank, um, I don't know, in the top five, I think it you should reconsider. Uh, maybe, okay, if you're uh, up until top 10, we can, it's debatable. I mean, there is no very strict rule about it, but uh, basically what, what I've learned a lot is like, we try to, of course, go for the biggest keywords. We we tried everything. Um, and for some of them it worked, but for some others it didn't. So we really were ranking number 40 for this keyword or or 30 or whatever. And as much as this keyword was very relevant for us, um, it, it didn't make sense to, to keep it because we were not getting any traffic from it. So there is no secret. It really is one thing go and test as many keyword and key keywords and keyword combinations, give it a couple of weeks for, you know, to make sure that um, this information has been picked up and, you know, you, you're, you're sure about seeing the right results. Um, I even, I was, uh, even I've made this test with leaving one keyword that wasn't bringing, we were not positioned, we were not ranked very well for that keyword, but it was such a relevant keyword that I really wanted to let it run for, more than a couple of weeks just to see if Apple, you know, learned that we really want to change their mind. Change their mind, you know. Um, I think it partially worked. We probably gained a couple of positions, but I don't think it's because we we left it longer there. You know, it's just because probably you know, something else changed. But um, really trial and error. Go ahead and try all kinds of keywords um, and keyword combinations. And this is how you're actually going to find a set that, that works for you. And then you're going to have, after a couple of months of experiment, experiments and testing, you're going to have a very stable uh, keyword set, um, probably let's say 
70% of these keywords will really bring you good traffic. And then with another 30%, you can play. You can remove them. You can put new ones. And, and this is how you optimize. But at a certain point, you will probably find keywords that work pretty well for you. So it won't be a drastic change. It will be more like a maintenance. Uh, at least that's what, what happens in our case. Yeah, I think you said a few things there that are amazing. One is um, this idea of experimentation, because I completely, you know, I, I totally agree. There's no magic with keywords. There's no way to just know that something is going to work for you. And okay, I've put this keyword in great. Now I'm going to start getting uh, getting traffic. So I think that that idea and the patience of you've got to give it time, you can't expect, you know, three days after a change to really be able to understand what what kind of impact there's been there. I think the other thing, you know, that you said that that I also really connect with is this idea of when you're when you're already poorly ranking. So for me, I see it pretty much anywhere where you're, I think you said it as well, under 10. It's so much harder, even if you're running these optimizations, it's so much harder to push your ranking and you don't really see much of a difference if you've moved from even 40 to 30, you know, it's not, it's not actually tangibly something that makes an impact. But when you're in those higher keywords, if you're pushing from five to four, from four to three, so on and so forth, that's where you actually start to, to kind of have an impact. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super important of this, like, not trying to optimize the keywords that you can't break through, you know, there's, you can't break through on them. Adding one one tag here or there is probably not going to make that difference. Um, but I also love this idea that once you've done your initial work, you have your your kind of core keywords, and then yes. you still have this this area to play around with. So you're not okay. sacrificing what you've built. You just have this you know kind of groundwork, and then the the add-ons, the you know kind of the the little side ones yep. to be able to maintain. Absolutely. Yep, I think the bigger the biggest lift is really in the beginning when you start with ASO. After that, you're very familiar with the keywords, right? And how it how they work for you. But things change. So I would even advise, like, why don't you just test even keywords that haven't worked in the past? You can try again, you know, because um, this obviously changes. So Yeah, I mean, something else that that changes a lot, I'd say, is is your competitor space. So you, especially in uh, in the music industry, I'm sure you have competitors that are launching um, you know, fairly frequently that maybe can shake up the industry, maybe can't. Um, but their strategies are changing. So if your competitors are suddenly bidding really aggressively in certain places, your your performance probably also is is being shaken because of that, right? So that kind of touching Certainly. base to make sure, yeah. you know, the industry hasn't moved on without you is uh is Absolutely. definitely important. Yes. This is why we're actually testing also now, you know, paid channels. Um we, we've noticed that you know, everybody's investing so heavily in paid. Uh, it's great to have a, a such a high organic traffic, but you know, it 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 cannot go forever. So at a certain point, you have to uh, consider other options, like you know, the paid channel. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in general, I at some level, the platforms are also changing. Like Apple are updating their algorithms with some level of frequency, which means the the things that worked for you two years ago probably don't work for you in this new S and with yeah. these, you know, these new rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to kind of measuring the impact um, and understanding how it works, what are you, you know, we talked about the KPIs you look at overall for growth, but specifically with keyword strategies, what are you looking for to see if uh, a strategy was successful or not? Yes. So this is a bit of a complicated uh, thing to really understand your true impact. Um, what we do is like we rely on, um, our ASO tool, so we use AppTwig for that. Um, and then we go ahead and they have a very nice chart where it shows you 
your uh, generic versus brand keywords um, versus you know uh, similar brands key, uh, volume. So actually, you can understand the volume over time, um, and this is where we can get a good understanding of how, like, basically the trend. Are we going upward, downward, etc.? Another good thing we uh, we can see also on the platform is um, uh, how recognized you are as a brand. So how strong your brand is and what is your visibility on the on the store. So these are good indicators, right? Um, but then if we want to understand really numbers, um, then we go to the um, iTunes console uh, and then we look at um, our search traffic. Uh, we usually look at browse and search because we know that historically uh, Apple has misattributed some of the installs to browse and you know it kind of uh, started shifting. So just in case we're looking at both, um, to kind of understand the big picture. And uh, this is where we try to understand whether our uh, traffic has increased coming from this uh, specific source. And yeah, so it's a blend of different uh, sources that we're looking at to really understand the impact of our organic traffic. Awesome, so we talked a lot about kind of top of the funnel and how we get users in when, you know, getting them to discover the app. Uh, let's take it a step further. So you've gotten a user to download. I know you've done kind of a lot in the world of onboarding flows as well and kind of testing processes there. Uh, how, how does that work? How do you kind of tackle, you know, it's half the battle getting the download, but you don't actually get anything. Uh, you know, a user who downloads and never logs in doesn't help you all that much. Um, so how do you start that that process? Yes, that's one of my, also my favorite topics. So uh, before we get to activation, what we also, what I would like to mention is that we also work closely with the uh, paid marketing teams at SoundCloud uh, to ensure that you know the the user journey is pretty um, seamless in a sense that they see um, you know the paid banners, for example, and then go to the app store and have the same design. So I just wanted to say that another call out that I would make and <clears throat> is definitely work with the paid marketing team. Make sure that your uh, screenshots are and you know, paid media banners are kind of following the same design rules. <clears throat> I know what's going on with my voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is, uh, I think it's something that you see a lot in, uh, in larger companies, especially when you have different teams covering completely different aspects. If you don't have yeah. the consistent messaging, you know, everybody hits the app store and everybody hits your app. There's not much you can do about that. And if you have, you know, an amazing, UA, the best UA campaign in the world, if it doesn't match consistently with everything that happens after, it's only going to go so far. Yeah, it needs to be consistent. So obviously, yeah, we're trying to be on brand everywhere, but um, this might seem, uh, this might sound very obvious and somebody would say like, yeah, of course, but I have seen different ways though. So, um, you know, just because there is the silos between teams, they're not working closely. So just a small call out uh, to keep in mind. Yeah. Going back to activation, and activation is also one of my favorite, favorite topics. Um, so obviously, depending on, on your product, you can have a different type of onboarding. Some products are so seamless, you don't even need an onboarding, right? Um, it really depends on the product. In our case, uh, what we really wanted to achieve um, is get some first signals from our new users of what they like so that we can be more personal, uh, personal in our uh, suggestions in, in on the platform. So uh, what we've done is that we worked uh, with an agency and together with our CRM team, we built 
uh, an onboarding experience from scratch, uh, where we ask people to tell us a little bit more about their music preferences, what type of, uh, of uh, genres they actually like. And uh, this is coming right after they sign up. So this is already informing us uh, what people uh, like, and it allows us to serve them very uh, personalized messages based on their genre and uh, already try to help them find uh, the content they like on the platform. And once they start uh, listening, we're actually going to educate them how to like, how to build their library, how to uh, reconsume this library. Uh, so this is um, actually something that we haven't had before. And it has worked uh, also pretty well. We have seen people uh, engage with, um, with more content, liking more content, listening to more music. So um, definitely in our case, this type of activation was necessary. And yeah, I can, I can say only good things so far. Fingers crossed it's going to continue that, uh, like this, but it makes a lot of sense, right? You, your user comes in, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really know what the value of your product is. So why don't you just help them out find it as quickly as possible because attention span is becoming shorter and shorter. And think about all the apps you have on your phone. So if you know you download something, you sign up, and you don't find immediately what you're looking for, likelihood of you staying is very small. Yeah, I think that's a good point. How do you deal with, um, you know, on the one hand, you want to be able to provide a personalized experience, which means finding out as much as you can about the user, getting them to fill as much as they can. But you mentioned also there's that limited patience. So how do you balance? You know, that information will make your long-term user journey so much more valuable. But in the short term, how do I make sure that you've actually, you know, that you have the incentive to fill in all these preferences and, and complete it and not just jump past that? Yeah. Well, we have to be fair here and say that quite a few people are used to dismiss things. So um, we see that behavior a lot, right? A lot of users are dismissing the screens. They are like, I'm not answering anything. But we should also, we're also mindful of something is that, um, our SoundCloud users are very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to music, uh, so they have very strong preferences. So very often they come to the platform and they're like, "I don't need to tell you what I like, what I like, what genres. I already know what I'm looking for. I already know everything about music." So we know that we have this very, um, you know, knowledgeable, educated people uh, in terms of music. So we understand that some of some of them, they don't necessarily like to be guided, uh, but for others, it works pretty well. So um, you cannot really avoid that. You will always have people that will skip this onboarding. They will be impatient or they don't necessarily find value in it. And this is where iteration comes in. This is where you say, okay, let's see how many people skip the screen. Um, maybe what we are asking them doesn't show any value for them. And this is actually one of the tests I want to share. We, we've done at SoundCloud. Um, it's one of the fails that I want to share, actually. Um, so now, currently, in, the, in, in our onboarding, when you sign up, you're going to see a screen where we actually ask you what you like in terms of music genres. This is helping us, um, you know, inform a little bit more our algorithms and then uh, showing you the right content. Um, so we had a pretty high skip rate, and we were thinking, okay, maybe we're not telling people what's in it what's in it for them, right? What is what is the benefit for them? Because obviously this is to inform us like what, what they like and then show them immediately some results uh, relevant. 
but we we don't really explain to them uh, what's in it for them. So what we've done is that we introduced another screen just before the genre selection screen where we were explaining to the users like what is the benefit, why are we doing it? We even like we tested five or six value propositions. Um, and we were thinking, okay, great. Now we're, we're giving them the why. Maybe they will give us a little bit more uh, as well. It completely killed uh, the conversion. It was... Oh my God. <laughs> it, it completely killed it. It was uh, really a friction point. People couldn't care less. They didn't want to read. Um, so we removed it. So we were trying to really give them the why, but it didn't seem to matter much, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think this is also why testing is so important because logically, of course, it makes sense that you're saying I'm, I'm about to ask you a bunch of, you know, kind of personal questions and make you fill something out. Let me, let me tell you why I'm doing this. And, uh, not, not that way. Apparently, you know, you could see a company putting that in and being super proud of, uh, you know, we A-B tested the design of this page and it's great. And then, uh, discovering that in fact, this was another step that nobody, you know, I guess it also maybe didn't hit the reason of why people were skipping that screen. It wasn't because they didn't understand why it's because like you mentioned, actually, now that you say it, I'm thinking about myself as a user and I look at those screens and I'm like, I like a lot of genres. Why am I going to pick, you know, these, oh, I don't need to pick many, these. You can pick as many as you like. That's totally fine. <laughs> We don't limit yeah. you can you can uh, pick as many good. as you like. That's good. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's a really good point that, you know, you thought you solved kind of uh step one, but that was uh it was the the counter solving. Yeah, um, I wanna touch on fail. Some... fail. <laughs> <laughs> I love fails. You gotta be able to see what doesn't work to really know what actually does. Um you mentioned before you worked closely with your CRM team on uh on kind of the experimentation, but not uh, the product team. What was the, you know, is there a reason you go through the CRM team for the onboarding step? Yes, uh, good question on that one. So uh, the product team was actually in, uh, very involved. Uh, what we are doing at SoundCloud is that very often, um, instead of the product team uh, working on a feature for a very long time, we can first try it for CRM to kind of prove the value of, uh, of this functionality. Um, so onboarding, it was just much faster to get executed through CRM. It's not ideal because, um, obviously when it lives in the product, it can really interact better with the internal algorithms and then, uh, have an even bigger impact. Um, but with CRM as, as much as it could be limited for some things, it's, uh, it's, it's really good for proving the point of whether it makes sense or not and whether people engage or not. And it also gives you this flexibility of constantly uh, testing things without um, the need of much engineering work. It really is, you know, CRM, it, it goes much faster. So we've made, we've done so many tests for our onboarding, so many, and we've learned so much uh, that now the product team can take this information and say, okay, this is what worked, well, this is what didn't work. This is the type of message that really resonates with the user. Um, and then they can build it in the product, right? So we see CRM as also uh, a great way to prove that something um, could work and then the product team can pick it up. Yeah, I think that probably also 
you know, enables a testing culture and an ability to test. If you don't need product to fully design every single experience, you know, you're able to work with an MVP that maybe isn't perfect and it's not the experience you go for, but at least you know the direction now and you don't have to uh, kind of start from scratch and then scrap it all and, and try again in the next time. Exactly. And it takes them longer, right? Like it takes the product team much longer to, to do that. And with um, CRM, you can just build it um, much quicker and then you can iterate on it much quicker. So I think it's a great tool to use for testing, um, even like product uh, ideas, like we, I mean, the, in the product roadmap, uh, instead of, you know, wasting a couple of months on something that might not work, just first try it uh, with CRM if possible. Um, yeah, it, it has worked pretty well for us. Um, and I guess just one, you know, kind of to finish this off, we talked about the top of the funnel. We talked about getting people actually in and using. Um, you know, what happens after does acquisition, if you're work, we're looking at MAU and DAU and, and getting the understanding of people who are coming in every day, how does growth continue after you've gotten somebody onboarded and through that hurdle? Yes, you're. Are you referring to how do we retain them longer? And yeah, I guess what what you know do you do you have ways of do you look at users differently when they're um, do you have to, you're you're learning a lot about your users? Do you have buckets? Does that change? You know how you how you work with them in the future? Absolutely, yes, we do have buckets. Absolutely, we. Um, so it, it, in SoundCloud's case, it's very complex because we have a very different type of users. Uh, you know, imagine all the genres you can think of, like all the artists you can think of. Like we have people with very different behaviors, there are different tastes, um, different frequency of usage. So we're definitely trying to um, become more informed and more precise into understanding our audience of like what exactly makes them stay. And what we have done in the past, we have uh, we ran a lot of analysis, a lot of cohorted analysis of um, and trying to understand any type of pattern, uh, anything in common, why are people staying, what is the user behavior that they exhibit? So maybe, you know, they're doing something more than others and this is our indicator of success and retention. Um, and then the, 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 you know, the answer that came uh, back was uh, a little bit disappointing in the sense that we didn't have a silver bullet we were hoping for. It, it literally didn't have a very clear pattern. So we, we, what we looked at, we looked at our, power users, so people who really listen a lot, like they're they're very active on a monthly basis. And we were expecting to see a very similar behavior. Say they like a lot, uh, you know, they create playlists a lot or any kind of action uh, on the platform uh, that will show some sort of engagement. And it was very interesting to find out that it was completely spread all over all over the place. So we had people that didn't like much, but they listened a lot. And we had others that liked a lot and listen a lot. And then there was no clear winner where we say, okay, this specific engagement metric is going to be an indicator of success and retention. This didn't come, um, unfortunately, uh, out of this analysis. So but we're definitely trying to bucket our users, understand engagement, understand frequency, understand type of usage, and then address these users also with different messaging, um, kind of, you know, become more relevant for them. And what we've noticed is that for very highly engaged users, so power users, people who really listen a lot, we don't bother them much with our uh, with you know messages, suggestions, or anything because we know that they they don't like it very much, so they dismiss the messages. They, uh, it, you know, it's not as 
uh, relevant because they already know what they're looking for and they know what they want. So it's it's important to be very mindful and not go with the same message to everybody, but understand your buckets, what makes sense for them, and especially does it even make sense to to send them anything? You know, you don't want to disturb um, or disrupt their experience on the platform. So a lot of complexity involved uh, for for us on that level. Um, Yes, and another important thing that we always love seeing because it, it really um, is one of these growth loops that uh, it's no secret to anybody or unique to SoundCloud, but it's obviously we like uh, when people not only find what they uh, like to listen to, but also share it, you know, with their uh, <laughs> with their friends, with their networks, with everybody. Um, this is, uh, I think, one of the favorite things for any for any company, right? Uh, but yeah, when your users market for you, it's the best. <laughs> yes, this is a wonderful growth loop. We're only happy to grow. Awesome. All right, quick fire round, the questions that we uh, ask everyone when they join. First of all, if you could give one tip to uh, somebody who's just starting out in uh, in growth marketing and mobile growth marketing, what would it be? I definitely have this one tip to give. Uh, so when I started, I started with uh, um, ASO a couple of years ago, and I had no clue. I had really no clue. I was really had <laughs> to learn everything from scratch. So the one tip I have is like, go online and and then find all your resources. There are absolutely amazing resources out there. Uh, back in the days when I was starting, there were very very few resources. Today it's full of them. So if you just start in growth, go and read a lot. Just read a lot the. Uh, this information there are literally all kind of guides all kind of uh, learning centers online so um, for me this would be one of the first things to do it's like go and educate yourself by taking a lot of hours at the beginning and read read all of these things this helped me tremendously um, and answered a lot of my questions and then part of this tip is also uh, join the relevant Slack groups. Uh, we there are quite a few now, right? We have an ASO dedicated Slack group, and there are um, many other uh, mobile-related uh, Slack groups. And this is where you can ask your questions, connect with the community, um, and read what other people have to share. So I think these two things for somebody that starts, and not even if you start, I do it all the time. Uh, just just do these things, and you'll be fine. It. The rest will bring come. me right. Uh, you bring me right to my next question, which is, what's your favorite uh, mobile growth resource? It's your favorite area to tap into. I don't have one. I don't have one. I have too many. Mobile, <laughs> <laughs> all the uh, mobile related one. Um, so mobile dev memo, of course. We have feature. We have uh, um, a lot of ASO great blogs. Uh, in Sepia, for example, I love it. Um, uh, we have your resource, of course, that I absolutely love. Um, yeah, well, there's too many, actually. You know, I, I should have that and then read them all out. But uh, these are just, <laughs> you know, just to name a few. Um, yeah, and then, uh, of course, uh, more and more people are now uh, writing newsletters. For example, Tomah Petit just started his uh, newsletter. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's really a great read. So, yeah. There, there are many great sources out there. Is there one person in the mobile growth world that, uh, you know, Corona ends, we go back to normal, one person that you'd want to take out for lunch and uh, why? 
uh, Brian Belfort from Reforge. <laughs> he, he uh, yeah, when all the, the great um, Reforge programs, you know, and the growth loops, this will be definitely a very interesting conversation. I can learn a lot. So, yeah, but it, it's not limited, obviously, to this one person. There are a couple more. It's a, it's a good start. Um, most important question, what is your favorite type of pancake? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, cinnamon pancake. Oh, now I want cinnamon pancakes. Um, okay, Dora, that was amazing. One more thing is just where can people find you if they want to, uh, you know, kind of learn more, reach out? Yeah, so I'm on, literally on all the Slack channels of all the groups. <laughs> so... Uh, please feel free to Slack me. Um, and also LinkedIn, it's a great uh, place to connect as well. All right, awesome, Dora. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Esther. It was great chatting and wish everybody a great day. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit storemaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Stormaven, thanks for listening.